Faith and Fable, a pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. I'm Matt Henry, and we are continuing our study in Systematic Theology 3 with the Doctrine of the Church, or if you want to be fancy, Ecclesiology. Um, And we're going to talk about the activities of the assembled church. What are they? Um, We're taking our time on this whole section because it affects every believer in a very practical way. Um, And if you just think about that for a moment, I think you'll see that it is rather obvious. Within Orthodox Christianity, there's not much debate over core doctrines like the deity of Christ or the spirit, because if you don't think (laughs) Christ is God, then you're not Orthodox and not Christian, right? Um, So there's very little argument over those things. Uh, justification by faith alone is not questioned. There's little argument about the reality of angels and demons. So those we didn't have to go in depth, even though we could have dealt with it. But what about if you were with some friends and you brought up the idea of baptizing babies? Well, depending on who you're talking to, you're going to have a fight on your hands in very short order. And then you get to discuss and fight over whether it should be immersion or Immersion, yeah, immersion, dipping or pouring or sprinkling. Uh, is it supposed to be in the triune name or in Jesus's name only? Or you could bring up, should there be bishops or only elders? Is a congregational rule or not? Should you take wine when you take communion or only grape juice? And then is the Lord's Supper a sacrament or an ordinance or women preachers or leaders or only men? Should, in other words, should Beth more really just go home? Um, that was a fun one. <laughs> uh, re, do you require church membership or not? Um, that was a big battle in our church uh, uh, several years ago. Our, and it literally came to, down to the question of, are you sinning if you do require membership? Are you really even part of the church universal if you actively refuse to join a membership with a local church? These are just simple examples of how denominations are created, and it's also how friends can somehow become not friends later on. Are these unimportant or of high importance, and how do you know? And so we're really trying to spend some time here on this uh, section of theology so we can lay out a sound theology of the church. But even then, we know that it only scratches the surface because beneath every doctrine we'll talk about, Uh, that's related to the church, there are all sorts of connections back into so much of the other theology that we have talked about. Now, last time we talked about the purpose of the church, and we saw three purposes. We said that the church's purpose is to worship, to be a witness, and to establish the faith. Yeah, so today we then, um, we're just going to do a quick survey here relatively on the various elements of a typical church service. So what you're doing on Sunday morning, essentially. Um, you know, in other words, what are the sort of things that you should expect to see when a local church assembles? Uh, now, not necessarily all of these have to be present every time, we would argue. No. Some would argue that maybe they do, but... Um, baptism will be a hard one. Though. Yeah, right? Like, <laughs> um, but these are the sort of things the 
gathered church should participate in and therefore practice together. So what are some of the activities of the assembled church? Uh, well, Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47 gives us a, a basic paradigm. Uh, and so I'm going to read that, but notice as we do read it that that this is not a series of commands, but rather this is simply narrative, uh, which of course gets into that prescriptive versus descriptive yes. debate. But this is narrative, not necessarily Everything's commands. got a debate. Everything. Jeez Louise. Okay, so here's what Luke writes. He says, so then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So many of the activities that we're going to enumerate here in a moment are captured here in this simple narrative. And that makes this passage helpful, though we would say it's still not necessarily normative. Right, right. So what we mean by this is that there are those who take verse 45, for example, and which says they began selling their property possessions, sharing with them all as anyone has need. They're going to take something like that and now start to argue for socialism. Um, and that socialism of some sort is required for the church. Or they were gathering in houses, therefore house churches ought to be the thing that the church does. But it also says that they met in the temple in verse 46, uh, which is where they were taught. And so we would say, if you really want to press this narrative and be strictly faithful to it, you would need to meet only in the temple and the temple in Jerusalem, which doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. It's, good luck. It's been destroyed. <laughs> yeah, you want to take this one real seriously, then good luck, because it just doesn't work. All right. Um, but one of the major, uh, one of the things that the church does when they assemble is we see in the scripture that the Lord's Supper was a major purpose. So in Acts 20, verse 7, it says, On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to him, and here he, this is a famous passage where he goes on and on and on, and the guy falls dead, falls from the rafters and dies. And, Eutychus. Yeah, good guy. Um, By the way, for, quick, sorry, just really quick. You know there's a book called Saving Eutychus? It's a book on preaching. <laughs> and I'm apparently arguing for shorter sermons. <laughs> I don't know. I read it one time. I mean, it wasn't a bad book oh, okay. by any means, but I just, the title was so funny. Yeah, that's pretty it, good. How to make your sermons better. Well, and poor Eutychus, that, he goes down through the century as the guy that died and got resurrected because he fell asleep. Yeah. Anyhow, <laughs> uh, for us, we want to just point this out. The, the clause, we were gathered together to break bread, um, that to break, that, that, phrase or, well, phrase in English is known in the Greek as an infinitive of purpose. In other words, they gathered together with the purpose to break bread. That was, they, they, they didn't just say, hey, we got nothing better to do. Let's remember the Lord. It was, we were gathering together for that purpose. We also might add, just as an aside, that the development of the church and the apostles has, at this point, is well advanced by now. And yet Sunday is still not called the Sabbath. It's still called 
literally the first day of the week by Luke. Why? Because Sunday, beloved, no matter what you say or your catechism says, is not the new Sabbath, no matter how much you hear otherwise. The Bible simply doesn't describe Sunday as Sabbath day. Um, we'll deal with that, though, later. Yeah. Just, just to annoy them. <laughs> At least some. Sure. Um, uh, it, well, yeah, no. It, okay, my turn. Oh, wait, no, no. We're supposed to be going back and forth. Yeah, that's what our script says, but I forgot where the back and forth begins and ends. <laughs> and so I'm still talking, aren't I? Huh? And anyhow. 1 Corinthians 11.20, that one says, Therefore, when we meet together, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. Now, that sounds counter to what we're saying, but it's actually a rebuke. Um, In it, there is also the indication, though, that the church would regularly gather for the Lord's Supper. But what the, the Corinthian church did is they turned it into a whole meal. And that was something that we just read in Acts 2, that they would share a meal and in that also break bread. Uh, remember the Lord's death, in other words. Here, they would do the same thing. It was a big meal. Um, and the remembrance part was done at the end. But by that time, uh, those who had been there for the whole affair were drunk. And the poor and the slaves who came later would be left with just the, the scraps. And so his point is simple. Stop having meals together since you can't control yourselves. But the Lord's Supper would still be part of the service, just without the drunkenness or the gluttony that was happening in Corinth. So I thought that was kind of interesting that for him, he would say, if you can't control yourselves and eat your food at home, but then come together so that uh, as a church, so that you can then remember the Lord. Yeah. Uh, another element would then be baptism. Um, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 28, that's that great commission passage. Right. Make Baptizing. disciples. Um, so baptism is a significant part of what it to be, means to be a Christian. Um, in Acts 2.38, uh, we have that statement where it says, Peter said to them, repent, let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the Holy Spirit. Um, this one is simply the command to be baptized, but what it's doing is it's indicating the repentance. Right. Um, and we'll get into that when we, we deal with baptism, baptism yeah. specifically. Um, and so here it's, it's a public act, but it was also in an evangelistic context, um, making some say baptisms are not part of the gathering. Uh, however, connecting this with Matthew chapter 28, it shows us that baptism is indeed that entrance way uh, or I like the way my uh, professor would say it sometimes, that initial rite, R-A-T-E. Oh, really? Um, into the visible church, where then that Lord's Supper is that ongoing Okay, rite. I think Mark Dever says that baptism is the front door of the church and membership is the back door. Huh. I think that's what he says. Okay. If not him, somebody said it and thought that like I'm that. claiming it and it's copywritten <laughs> and you have to pay me if you use it. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's a good one because the Matthew 28 is on how do you make a disciple of Christ and right. the key part of it is baptism. The next one would be prayer. So we have, uh, so far we have the Lord's Supper, we have baptism. Well, another thing would be prayer. In 1 Timothy 2.8, it says, therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. It's interesting because he, he indicates that the men of the church should be men of prayer, and that this is something that they are to be doing with regularity, and they need to prepare themselves so that they can do it in purity. So um, they don't just get to get up there and start lifting up their hands, which is a, a way to pray. Um, 
and do so uh, in sin, but rather they should be doing this as men who are godly men, holy men, and that it is part of the role and responsibility for men to pray. Um, So in Ephesians 6, though, he expands that in verses 18 and 19. He says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times. (laughs) That's that's all, all in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf so that utterance may be given to me at the in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. This is an appeal he gives to the church at Ephesus. This is not just uh, an individual private thing, but he's asking the church in Ephesus, you need to be all praying um, and you need to be doing, this should be a consistent part of what the church is doing. Um, you should be praying for everyone, but especially where I'm asking you to pray for me so I can be bold in my mission. Yeah. Uh, another element would be that of singing. Uh, two key passages. One is Ephesians 5.19, where Paul says, speaking to one another, how in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Now, the context here is this is, uh, there's a series of participles that are taking place, uh, flowing from the command to be filled by right, the Spirit. Right. And one of them here is this, speaking, that's a participle, to one another, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So, so singing. Now, what's important to notice about this is it's not a private singing, but a public one, as indicated by that phrase, one another, singing to one another uh, in these psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And that, that last part, making melody with your heart, um, you know, that's interesting too. Uh, the, the your is in the plural and the heart is in the singular. Uh, so it's, it's pointing to that corporate nature of the gathering of the church in Ephesus. Uh, Colossians 3.16. Uh, Colossians is the sister book, essentially, yeah. to Ephesians, if you didn't know. Um, and here, we have the same passage in Colossians. And instead of being filled by this, be filled with the Spirit, he gives the same thing, except the, the command shifts a little. It's let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. Now, what was your point? Because you, you made this point in your preaching and talking about the nature of the word and the Spirit. Yeah. Um, at, well, my point in that series was to talk about how you cannot separate the two, um, the spirit and the word. Um, and so here, how is it that you're to be filled by the spirit? How do you obey that command? Well, Colossians fills it out for us. You let the word of Christ richly dwell in you, um, the word of God. Such uh, a good statement though. This, yeah. It helps people. I think it yeah. helps me. Um, <laughs> Well, and then how is that to be done here? How do you let the word of Christ which you dwell in you? Well, he says, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, and how? With psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. And I like that one because you have the horizontal. You're to be singing to one another, mm-hmm. psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's how that word dwells in you, plural, church. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's that vertical, singing with thankfulness in your hearts now, to God. Yeah. So and the, or, I'm sorry, now there's that vertical. Vertical. Aspect. Right, right. So we're we're actually encouraging. And you know what? We have some kids that are across the aisle from me when we're singing. And I can hear their voices every time they're yeah. singing. And they're just belting it out. And it blesses my soul so much. Uh sometimes we get our grandchildren to stand with us. And it's so neat to watch the ones that can read the the ones that can't, they're usually staring blankly. Yeah. But <laughs> the the, uh, the ones who can read and look at the words, man, they're just singing away. And there's actually that mutual encouragement. And it's neat that mm-hmm. they get to hear grandma and grandpa uh, sing and sing 
heartily. And we get to hear our grandchildren sing. And it blesses both ways. There yeah. is that that human element, but it's always to God. Yeah. Um, well, and and it's it's why we're so picky about what songs we allow to be sung in our churches yeah. because there is that instructional component to it where you're teaching one another psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And then I'll throw in one more in that Ephesians passage. That corporate nature is so important. It's I'm, I'm really picky here, but it's also why I'm not a huge fan of the songs where you have like men sing and then women sing. Oh, that antiphonal stuff? Yeah, and it's not like that's evil, but I like the idea of we're all singing with one voice as one corporate body mm -hmm. to God. Well, we I'm picky too about that um, because, well, you know the famous story. Someday I'll tell the listeners the story of the fruit salad song where uh, God is a peach of a God, plum wonderful. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> well, then what was the sermon you preached after that? Uh, you adulteresses, do you not know <laughs> that friendship with the world is enmity toward God? We got to tell that story, but not today. Okay. We've got too many things going on. But uh, listeners, this might prompt you to write to remind us if we don't do it in the next few podcasts. It's a great story. Uh, <laughs> but um, there have been songs where I've heard it. And I said, no more. I don't want to hear that one again. And it's just, it's gone. Um, either it's, what what I'm looking for is a song, not only that is theologically rich, but you can sing well. Yes. Um, there are songs that are really great songs, but they're really a soloist or band. The band should be singing that. And we should just passively listen because it's the way it's, I don't know, I'm not a musician, the beat or the something like that, the, it it just it's something that the group can't sing together. So I'm always looking for songs that are uh, the whole church can get behind. That's why I really like the City of Light yeah. uh, songs that they're singing because the man, you it doesn't take long to learn them, and then everyone is just singing forth with a, a big voice. Yeah, and it, and the point is, is you want to be able to focus on those words without being distracted by just being able to hit the note. Yeah, you know. Well, and in fact, I've even. Uh, annoyed our singing a few times in the past where I come in and we're singing an old hymn, but they're, they've slowed it down radically. And it, and I'm like, no, I said, I want it sped up. Um, and the reason is not to be a jerk, but because the whole congregation is used to singing it at its normal rhythm, if that's the right term. And now all of a sudden we just slowed it down to half speed. And I think I think in the the singers, the, the the band's perspective, it's more contemplative. But the problem is the congregation will always be stepping on themselves with their anticipating we need to keep going. And so now instead of contemplating the words, they're just trying to figure out when when do we come in. Yeah. Um, so we are big here, at least on. If, if you want to introduce a song for the first time and sing it this way, fine. But then let's make that the way that our church sings it. Yeah. And so there's consistency over the months and yeah, years. Yeah, if we had a separate band do it, we're not doing it their way now. It's This is how we do it. Right. So everyone knows what's going on. Uh, the next uh, element or activity would be the reading of Scripture. Uh, in 1 Timothy 4.13, Paul says, Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture in 
to exhortation and teaching. The command there is actually in the present tense, which tells us that the reading of Scripture is to be a central, uh, consistent portion of the gathered church. And so, again, that missio, we try to weave it into the entire service that so the person has to willfully refuse to hear and heed it if they wish to be in attendance. They can't come in a little bit later you know, and say, okay, good, I missed the Scripture portion. Um, we want it so that an unbeliever or a believer will have, we never want it to be a place where an unbeliever or a believer have to go looking for what God says. They, If they come to our service, they are hearing the word of God in just about every format that we can come up with. But it's also strongly implied in how the epistles made reference to the phrase, according to the scriptures, or simply the scripture. I'll read just a couple of quick ones. Uh, in Romans 1, 2, it says, which he promised beforehand, God, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. So Paul is reminding them what the Holy Scriptures are saying because the presumption is that the people know the Scriptures, they're reading the Scriptures. Or he says in uh, chapter 4, for what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul can only do that because he knows they've been instructed in the, what the scripture says. That includes obviously the Old Testament. We have some other passages that you can look at on your own if you wish in the notes. Yeah, and then another one would be preaching and teaching of the scriptures. Um, so Matthew 28 and verse 20 says, uh, again, this is how you make disciples in that great commission, commission passage. You are to be teaching them to observe all that I commanded you and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, what stands out in this well-known passage is that key word, all, um, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Um, so we don't, th th that indicates the extensiveness or the expansive nature of the teaching, as well as the parameters. So we don't choose which passage we can teach on. Um, you know, we can't just skip. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is not a minimalistic command. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a maximalistic <laughs> yeah, well, we would also say, though, in light of that text, um, we're not teachers of other men's teachings. Rather, we're teachings of our Lord and God, or teachers of our Lord and God. So we would even argue that this is a strong indicator for true expositional preaching, uh, for only that method forces you to preach the whole of the text. Yeah, have you? you yeah, you just did a difficult passage. Uh, what was it? Four indicators that you're not redeemed. <laughs> now there's a draw. Welcome to church. Yeah, <laughs> but but I mean that's what the text is dealing with, and so if you're if you're trying to be relevant, you can jump over those things. You don't want to depress people, but if you're going to ex exposit the text, that's yeah. what's in front of you. By golly, you're going to teach on you, it. You let that that passage control your outline. So yep. it was four woes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay, so for, uh, then 1 Corinthians 1, 23 through 24 is a good one. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Gentiles folly, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Great passage because there you see three different groups of people who have three different responses. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. To the Gentiles, it's foolishness. But those who are called, whether you're a Jew or a Greek, it's the power of God. Right, right. So when you're preaching on any given Sunday, anyone you have all three of those in one way or another present in your congregation, but the presumption is that they're hearing the word and they're reacting, responding to it. But to the called, the word of God, when they hear the word of God taught and read and preached, 
they react to it. They respond to it because this is God's word. Yeah, absolutely. And then there's a few others here. I'll just give this last one. Uh, 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2, uh, preach the word. That's that command. Be ready in season and out of season. Uh, these are Paul's final words. He's a dying man, and he's writing this to his disciple and his beloved child in the faith, who is Timothy. And so there is an intensity to this that's very emotional if you just give it a thought. It's almost like- I actually got teary-eyed when I preached this passage. Mm -hmm. I was struggling the whole sermon to not weep mm -hmm. because I, I really felt- The burden. Yeah, yeah, that burden that he, I mean, because he stuck in that prison, the maritime, maritime prison, underground, sewage. Yeah. He, his only, his next great thing is his beheading. Right. You know? and, and so you can just feel that emotion of, this is important, Timothy. Yeah. So, so in light of that, then preaching the word is what is always needed. Um, but it, it's most definitively the need for this hour um, in our day, because, I mean, we would agree. It certainly seems to be an out-of-season time, right? It is. And it is. when he, I like that passage because he, he delineates then how that preaching is to be reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience. Those are three negative terms, reprove, rebuke. I guess exhort is more neutral, but yeah. there's an intensity there nevertheless. Yeah. yeah. No, it, and we really do live in an out-of-season time. And, and so, you know, the temptation in, human, in the human mind, when, when it gets hard, you, you want to retreat. You want to kind of quiet down. Uh, in fact, the Chorus and Chaos just posted a great meme. I don't know if you saw it. Um, and it was just pointing out that when the king said that there will be no prayer for 30 days except to him, mm -hmm. um, that Daniel didn't say, oh, well, um, I guess we need to obey the king and, you know, this is how we love our neighbor and all that stuff. No, actually, he opens up his windows. Yeah, what a great point. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and the point is that, sorry, we have a different king. And, and I think it's really a, a poignant point in our COVID time where people are trying to figure out how we can placate the government. Um, and it's like, you're placating the wrong thing. It, you have a God who is your only God and, and go there. Yeah. Well, we pointed out last week how the purpose of the church is very word-centered, right, and word-focused, uh, that we're not the ones who decide what's going, the, what the church is going to look like. Um, we conform ourselves instead to what the Lord tells us in the Bible. However, we also argued that the whole debate around normative, regulative rules of worship really does not help move that idea along. And the reason is that they tend to focus on the what rather than the why, in other words, you can play a piano or are, are you only allowed to do a cymbal or harp because those are in the scripture and a piano's not? Or can you even play an instrument at all? These are all what questions. What can we do? Right. However, if you ask the why, then things tend to clarify a bit because we can go back to the purpose of the church and ask why doing this or that achieves and conforms to those purposes. Then we can follow all of that up just to make sure and ask exactly how does this activity move people toward obeying the purposes that God has given us? Well, again, um, in this list we just went through, you can see that all of these elements are described or commanded in the Bible, specifically in the New Testament, um, because you know we hold that the church did not start until Acts chapter 2. 
Um, and so the New Testament is really what's going to define these things for us. But the point is that they're not elements we came up with, but rather these are elements that we can see clearly within the confines of Scripture. And as you heard, when we read the various passages supporting each of these activities, they were all very God-centered rather than just some fun or relevant, mm -hmm. you know, laughter-infused activity that's just designed to humor or to entertain uh, or even just inform people. Yeah, there's there's messages. I won't call them sermons, but there's messages like, well, that that it's like, well, that was kind of interesting, but that doesn't mean it was biblical. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, so with all that, we, we hope this has been enlightening to you. Uh, maybe it's something you already know, something you already practiced, but perhaps it's something that you learned and um, will help you as you consider what church you ought to attend and why you ought to attend it. Uh, and so we ask that you continue to listen. Make sure that you like and share this episode if you find them a, find it of value. Uh, drop us a quick note to say hi uh, via our website, faithfable.com, or on one of our social media platforms or outlets. Uh, but as always, in light of that, we ask that you... Share this and then tell a friend.